It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss. The lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision. Every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello, and welcome to the BBC Country Farm Magazine podcast, the podcast as we call it. It's the second episode of our new season, Series 7, of countryside rambles and other wonderful adventures into the great outdoors. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm your host. So sometimes environmental news can be full of heartbreaking loss and fears for the future. It can be really draining hearing about wildlife declines and loss of beautiful habitats and landscapes. And then along comes someone like Maya Rose Craig, an inspiring, optimistic and passionate young naturalist to bring a bit of light and hope to our lives. Known as the Bird Girl, Maya Rose has only just finished school, but through her blogs, TV appearances and work with young people, she is bringing the environmental message to a much wider audience. In this episode, she welcomes our own Annabelle Ross to her homeland in the Chew Valley in North Somerset to do a spot of birding, but also to reveal her hopes for the future, for today's young people and for the wider wild world. So you are, you're bird girl, but you're not a girl anymore, are you? <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't think bird woman quite has the same um, ring to it, really. <laughs> I think I'm going to be bird girl forever. You don't mind, obviously. No, not at all. <laughs> I think it's a great name. I think it sounds, well, the reason I picked it when I was a kid is because I thought it sounded like a superhero. So. Oh, that's the, so you, yes, tell me how you chose it. Um... It was when I was about seven and email was the new exciting thing that all my friends were doing. We were setting up email addresses to chat to each other and I had to try and come up with a name for my email address and I thought of Bird Girl because, yeah, I thought it sounded very cool, like a superhero and it's sort of just stuck ever since. (laughs) And so we're going to test out your Bird Girl superhero um, today on a bird walk. So where where are we going? Um, Well, we're just walking around my village, which has a lot of cow fields and I I suppose just pockets of green space all around it. It's very rural. And I suppose just 
seeing what we see. What are you hoping to see? What are we hoping to see? Or hear, even? Um, I don't know. I quite like seeing woodpeckers in the area. Great spotted woodpeckers. Wow. Which, um, yeah, they're always exciting. But I don't know, really. I quite enjoy looking at, like, the common birds. Like, even just the crows in the fields and stuff. I think they're really nice. So... I, th- I think they're very interesting, certainly. They kind of they seem to be very characterful. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I'm a big fan of corvids. I think they're very cool, very smart. <laughs> and um, what are birds generally doing in Britain at this time of year? Well, let's say this time of year, July, August, in sort of midsummer, what do they tend to be doing? Well, there's going to be this massive influx of young birds that have just fledged nests but don't quite look like young birds necessarily anymore. But a lot of the time, the way I identify them when they're flying around is that they're just a bit more stupid than their adult counterparts because they don't seem to be very scared of anything and they're just hopping around all over the place. And, um, yeah, there's just a massive abundance of them post-breeding season and the adults are just recovering after being completely exhausted looking after their um, chicks in the nest. So sweet. I love the parents being so exhausted. So I just wondered, I just wanted to turn around a second so we can get a bit of orientation because we're looking at the Chew Valley. That that one's Blagden Lake over there, which is about five miles away. And then over in that direction, also about five miles away, is Chew Valley Lake, which is one of the reasons my parents moved here because it's amazing for birds. Oh, because you get water birds as well? Um, Yeah, lots of water birds, but the... Um, bits of land around it like the trees and the meadows and stuff are also amazing for birds like it's known by twitches all over the country so how did your parents get into birding um well we were chatting to my gran about this last week actually because my dad's just always been really into birds like um, my grandparents would go out on walks and stuff but it was just him that got really into birds from an incredibly young age Um, But my mum was not. She was a proper city girl. (laughs) And then when she met my dad, she said that someone sort of pointed at him and went, he's a twitcher, in a sort of, you better watch out tone. (laughs) And she didn't know what it was. Um, But then they started dating and she found out what bird watching was. And she was a bit like, "Um, you can do that on the weekends if you like, but I am not doing that too. (laughs) Um, But eventually he got her. (laughs) <laughs> and um, she became just as obsessed as he was. And my whole, yeah, my whole family was into birds, is into birds. That's great. He's obviously very persuasive. Wasn't he? <laughs> That's really sweet. And do you, do you have any siblings? Um, yeah, I have an older sister who's 12 years older than me. Oh, yeah, that's one of the reasons my dad got my mum, actually, because she was about five or six when they started going out and he would take her with him at the weekends when he went birding so my mum would just sort of be left home alone (laughs) and so eventually she felt a bit left out and decided to join in that's brilliant so your is your sister mm, as passionate as you um yeah definitely especially like she has two kids now so she's a bit busy to be honest Uh. um but especially when we were younger she was yeah, an amazing birder. Like, it was a family thing. Um, and I think when she was about 12, I think she became the youngest person in the UK to see 400 birds and stuff. Like, she, she was very into it. Did you get um, quite competitive with your sister about the number of 
birds you'd seen? Oh no, because it wasn't possible. She had such a head start on me. She was 12 when I was born that I never could have caught up. Um, okay. Or I think I might have overtaken her now, but only quite recently. Um, her, yeah, her list was great. It was more of a... I don't know, when I was a kid, my sister was very cool. Like, and I liked everything that she did was very cool. And I think that's one of the reasons that I stayed birding past an age where most kids usually, like, drift away from it if their parents are birders. Because um, I wanted <laughs> to do everything that she did. And then, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's really sweet. So, what was the first bird that you... Uh, first bird that you saw that you could name? And how old were you? Um, oh, my parents have all sorts of stories about this. <laughs> I think I've always been quite good at like picking up ID and stuff. And the story they always tell is when I was, had just joined reception that winter and um, it had been snowing and I came home and I told them that I'd seen a nuthatch at school. And they were like, what? Um, absolutely. Like they just kind of didn't believe me, I suppose. <laughs> um, but they didn't say anything to me. And it was only a few weeks later when we went up to the woods next to my house and I saw a bird and I went, nuthatch. And um, they realised that I had been right all along, yeah. I believed you. How old were you? Um, Just turned four. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So the nuthatch was when you were four and now you've seen how many birds? Um, In the world, I've seen over 5,300 birds. I've seen over half the world's birds now, um, which is yeah amazing. So do you? So they're all written down somewhere. Do you? What do you do? You take your bird book and you write down where you saw it and when. Or how? How do you? How do you keep a record? Um, well, so when my dad used to travel, he literally had like a massive stack of notebooks that he took around the world with him to write down all the birds. But these days, it's all online, to be honest, which is slightly less exciting. But um, yeah, it's all just on um, this website called Bubo Listing, and it helps keep track. And it basically means that you can't really make it up because it won't really make sense. And it's yeah, it's really good. I see. So you, when you see, you go on to Bubo. Boo, boo, Booba listing and you record your personal stuff in that website you have your own kind of bit in there yeah I have my own um, section under my own name yeah Booba means owl in mm, Latin maybe in something which is why it's called that as owl listing um today we're looking you said we could look for the which woodpecker Um, Well, sometimes there's a green woodpecker in this back corner, but I'm not sure it's there today. (laughs) Um, Probably won't be today of all days. No, I think maybe the rain scared him off a bit, which is quite sad. Um, But there are lots of um, swallows and stuff like that flying around in this area. You can hear them um, in the background and they're just nesting in, um, like, under the roof of that house there. <laughs> they always stop. They've stopped. It's the little, um, like the chirping sort of calls. Yeah. Maybe we'll come back and we'll go and look for this um, elusive woodpecker. Yeah. And do you know with, with all these birds that you've seen? Do you have you got a good grip on or a good idea of um, their way of life, their habitats, their all that um, sort of thing? Yeah, I think a lot of that's just sort of. Um, I don't know, instinctive knowledge to a birder, like you know that, but you you just, to an extent, 
instinctively know where different stuff is going to turn up because that's just that's where they live and you wouldn't find it anywhere else okay i have one question which is just because i just heard one of them is that i was told and i've got a terrible memory that there's the uh wood pigeon Mm. and the what's it called they sound very similar but one of them has five calls and the other one has three calls you can hear one now Um, that would be a wood pigeon. Wood pigeon. Yeah. And the other one is a sort of dove that has only three. Oh, collared dove. Collared dove. Mm. God, listen to me. Yeah. So, so, so is that the thing that the? I think I don't. I don't, see the thing about this is because I've been doing it so long, I don't even know yeah. what I know in some ways. I can yeah. just sort of go like, oh yeah, that's a wood pigeon or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but for us, it's actually quite unusual to see. Um, collared doves in the village like we got one in the garden a few weeks ago and it was like a cause for excitement <laughs> <laughs> you've also started is are they called nature camp do you call them nature camps um yeah they're just yeah we do um a nature camp in this field actually um oh. with primary school kids um oh. and we do one down in the glastonbury area near the somerset levels for secondary age kids and um you know it's all about well, most of them live like right in the inner city and they've never really had the opportunity to experience nature in that way. And it's, I guess, giving them that opportunity. And so how's it going? Do, are they enjoying it or are they quite sort of mm, bit iffy? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, we've done nine of them now and it's been a massive learning curve because um, I think the first one ever, this like group of um, kids showed up and they're all really like moody and we're like oh my mum made me come don't really want to be here um, and we were like oh what have we signed ourselves up to um, but by the end of the weekend they were having a really nice time and they had engaged with nature and it was you know the, their attitudes have sort of flipped around and I think now that we know a lot more about it the camps are really successful and the kids have a nice time and quite often they come in groups of friends now so it's just sort of hanging out with their friends in the countryside for a weekend exploring new things and what difference do you think that um age group can make to the future of of biodiversity slight crisis that we're in i don't want to be negative about it but what difference (laughs) do you think they can make by helping them learn Um, I think it makes a massive difference because the thing we always say is that people have no reason to try and save the environment if they don't already know and love the environment and nature and wildlife. And I think on that part, it's really important for people to to have experienced that in that way. But at the end of the day, the reason I originally set them up when I was about 13 wasn't for the sake of solving all our various environmental crises it was because I felt really privileged to have been going out into nature since I was a baby and I felt really sad that other people weren't having that opportunity yeah I think you're absolutely right um so I thought the woodpecker was down in the other corner are we not gonna you just you can tell he's not there but we're not even close up is there no point in going close no because he he wouldn't fly in even if he was gonna go he's quite shy Okay, and you would have might have heard him or at least seen him. So your yeah, binoculars. Yeah, yeah, quite obvious. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got my so we're going into the next field. Yeah. So is this where you take your kids in their camps as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely all around this area. <laughs> um, 
Sorry if you've been asked this a million times already, um, but what's next? Um, well, I'm taking a gap year because, um, well, universities aren't starting properly in the autumn. Um, I don't know, really. I was going to travel originally, but I don't really... Well, I don't personally feel comfortable doing that, I don't think, at the moment. So I'll probably just, I don't know, go birding, hang out with my friends, do some, like, blogging. And just take a year away from anything and not have to think about university or anything like that? Yeah, exactly. Will you get a job? Um, Yeah, I do have various bits of work lined up, actually. Okay. Um, So that would be quite nice, I think, (laughs) as well. I think it's a good idea, probably, just to, if you, if you can, to give that give it that year to kind of reassess what you what's happening. But then, I think I read that you were going to you were intending to study law. No, I'm not. I'm um, my mu- I... my mum was a lawyer, and I think she would kill me if I tried to become one did too. I re- did I did I make that up? I wonder if some, did somebody write about it and it was wrong. Oh, there's all sorts of things about me that are written wrong. There were oh, lots what, of people just make that, things up about you. Well, I don't think it's that malicious, but I think people just have wrong information. Like when I got my um, doctorate, there were loads of people in the newspapers that were reporting that my dad was a t- TV executive. Um, which he was an IT manager and he is now retired Um, so I don't know where they got that from but things just sort of pop into existence I'm going to study um, politics and international relations ah okay which is kind of similar but not really and do you do you do you know where you want to do that um yeah I think at the moment I'm hoping to get into Warwick um, or if not, maybe Manchester. Okay. But I'm not really sure yet. I might end up reapplying <laughs> in the autumn. So you're interested in going into sort of politics in one way or another, whether it's to do with environment or nature, or you're trying to, you want to come at it from a political. I think so. Yeah. Not because I don't want to be a politician. I think I might be a terrible politician. But I. <laughs> Why would you be a terrible politician? Um. I, um, I guess I'd rather try and fight the system outside it rather than try and, like, <laughs> wriggle around inside it. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's um, brilliant. So, but, yeah, I'm just taking it because I'm very... I just find it really interesting, basically. Okay. And then, I like, I like knowing how, you know, the whole structures of our countries work. Um... Yeah, and if it happens to be helpful with work later, then it'll be helpful with my campaigning later. And will you still carry on with your nature camps and things? Um, yeah, hopefully. Okay. I'm trying to do quite a lot of work at the moment to make sure that they can carry on going after I go to uni. OK, so some, someone else can run them. Yeah, I'm wondering if we've gone the wrong way. Oh. Well, we could... This was the only gate in this field, wasn't it? If I can do it, into a proper adventure. if I can do it, you can do it, my Rose, because I'm much older than you. Oh, all right. Can't believe I've gotten us lost already. Oh, maybe we are in the right hole. It's probably. I mean, it look how it all looks very tall grass. Yeah. Yeah, and usually we're away this time of year, so I don't actually see what everything oh, looks like in July. Time. Yeah, so you'd go on a birding trip every year, presumably mm. this time of year. Oh yeah, we have for a long time anyway. Which, which is your favourite country for birding? Um, um, apart from Britain, of course. Yeah, I do actually love birding in Britain. Okay. I know everyone jokes about our 
um, boring brown birds, but I actually really love them. Yeah. Um, for birding, one of my favourite places has to have been Brazil, which we went to last summer, just because of like the sheer quantity of birds that it has. It was ridiculous. I think I saw about 60 birds on the first day. Um, this is the right way. 60? Yes. We're not seeing 60 today, are we, really? We haven't, <laughs> we haven't seen many today. It's been... Is it because of the rain? Probably. And this time of year and this time of day, both are pretty great for activity. Oh, maybe um, we should have... What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, so... You, you'll study the politics and, was it international relations? Yeah. And um, which brings me to your relationship with Greta Thunberg. Mm. Are you actually friends or you just sort of bump into each other when mm. you're campaigning? <laughs> I wish I was friends with Greta. Um, no, yeah, we've just bumped into each other. Like, we, well, I've met her once and then I guess we're sort of roughly in the same circles online and stuff. Um, but yeah, I met her when she came to Bristol for the rally back in February, which I was also invited to speak at, which was very cool um, and very exciting. It was an amazing day. Vile weather, but so many people still turned up. It I was remember. just fantastic. I was there, but I was oh, really? way at the back, hiding under an umbrella somewhere. Very soggy. It really was, yeah, it really very was soggy. soggy. <laughs> and so do you, so you enjoy public speaking then? doesn't bother you? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I used to be really scared of it, but I think I just... I don't know, I enjoy talking to people, I suppose. Um, that one was quite scary, um, just because there are a lot of people there. Yeah. But, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's just interesting, I suppose, to be able to talk to such a large group of people. What's your main message? What are you trying to get people to think about? What do you want, what changes do you want to see? What are you hoping for? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is that um, wider groups of people are given access and the opportunity to go out into green spaces and into nature and, um, you know, like, be able to be in it too. Because um, I don't know, I, I feel that to an extent in a lot of Western countries, access to nature is starting to become a privilege where you can only go if you have enough money or you have enough time or you're lucky enough to live in a really nice green space like me. And um, I, I guess I want other people to be able to have those opportunities too. It's interesting. I mean, I would have thought that getting into a green space is basically, if you want to do it, it's there for you. In Britain, we have a lot of sort of public footpaths and a lot of access to green. Mm. And yes, you'd have to get out of the city, get on a bus or a train or something. So maybe that's a yeah. bit complicated. But I wouldn't have thought, I would have thought it's, it's more than wanting to go and why would they want to go when they can go do something in the city? Why would they want to come to the countryside? Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people um, haven't ever really experienced nature themselves. So they have no reason to want to try and, like, I, said, I guess, spend all that energy trying to get out here when they have no reason to. Um, and they don't feel any need to leave urban areas. Um, but yeah, I mean, accessibility is a bit of an issue too. So for example, if I wanted to get into Bristol, it would probably cost about eight pounds on the bus. Mm. Um, and it takes about two or three hours. Oh, um, okay. But that's like particularly, like countryside buses aren't, um, aren't very good. <laughs> but um, You yeah. might be better off on a bicycle. 
yeah probably <laughs> or I might get run down around here but yeah. Yeah. yeah okay so what you're trying to do is make the countryside sexy yeah make it appealing and make it accessible <laughs> <laughs> and um so by encouraging more young people particularly from urban areas to come out into the countryside you think that that countryside will be more respected and protected um yeah and I think also you know everyone has the right to enjoy the countryside um and I want to make sure that people um enjoy that to its fullest um they've got to want to haven't they yeah yeah that's what we're working on I suppose because a lot of people once they are out here they realize that they do want to but because it is so hard to get her in the first place, most people don't even realise it. So when they get out to the countryside, these kids that come into your camps, they probably actually... The, there's, there's the noise reduction, there's the light reduction, there's yeah, all that side good. to it that makes them Like, feel. the one I always remember is that there was this little girl who was prob- probably only about eight, and she went like, oh, you know what, it really smells of cow poo around here, but I like it because it's nicer than all the pollution where I live. Um, yeah and it was really like it was quite funny but it was also really like wow you know so um, do they come back again and again these kids that you have Um, unfortunately we can't really especially with the secondary camps we can't really take the same kids more than once Um, with the primary camps we're able to a bit more um, but yeah how's it paid for um, well, it's a charity. Black to Nature is a charity. So. Oh yes, Black to Nature. You started Black to Nature, didn't you? Yes, Black to Nature is my organisation that runs these camps, and um, yeah, so we just get money from donations and funding and um, stuff like that, and we just do our best to keep going. I suppose it's quite a struggle, isn't it? Because funding generally yeah, always yeah, is quite a tough <laughs> call. But Black to Nature doesn't mean that you have to be a non-white to come on the camp right (laughs) um no although because obviously in the uk there is quite a strong link between race and poverty um and um i know the majority of the kids that do come on the camps aren't white but obviously it's not barred to anyone (laughs) um yeah okay so it's just having fun where where oh sorry (laughs) any I love this little stream because, um, <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, you were saying you um, love the stream. Oh yeah, I like this area. There used to be a lot of um, mining, like aqua mining, um, around in this area. Like I, I don't know for certain, but I, that's probably one of the reasons it was set up. My my house is a mining cottage. Oh, really? Yeah, so it was, it's only about 250 years old. Um, but the woods up in the other direction in my lane um, are full of, like, old quarry scars and stuff. It's really... But they're, they're all green and grown over now, so they're really nice now. Um, yeah, they're probably full of wildlife now. Oh, look, there's yeah, lots definitely. of butterflies in here. We yeah. don't know what they are, do we, because we're not butterfly experts. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, in one of the quarries up in the woods this year there was a raven's nest um, which was really exciting and it was really close to the top so that you could you could see down into it and we went up a couple of times to visit, a few times to visit Did you see the eggs? And, um, yeah, we saw the eggs, we saw the chicks um, just as they're about to fledge, it was really exciting um, 
Yeah, but that was really exciting because whenever we were in our garden, we could see the pair of ravens like flying around and calling and stuff, and they were just constantly there, and it was really nice. So you think they might be the couple that had the nest? Oh, yeah, definitely. We, oh. That's how we found it. We saw oh. them flying. Um, yeah. And um, what's special about ravens? Um, is, that, is that one now? Maybe. But that was one. It was a corvid. Um, yeah, ravens just really do it for me, I suppose, because I think they're... I know a lot of people think they're quite ugly, but I think they're really beautiful. And, um... Oh, oh it was... I don't have my contact lenses in. Um, <laughs> that was a mistake. What were you pointing at? Um, I could hear... Or what did you think you were pointing at without your lenses in? <laughs> I thought I saw a raven flying past, because I think they used to nest in these trees at the end of the field, actually. Um... But so that's not a raven calling. No, it no, could, no. no it's not a raven calling. No. It's a crow. So the ravens, yeah, they are quite unusual looking, but they're quite interesting looking. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just think they're really good looking. <laughs> um, but also they're really smart. I don't know. I just think they're very cool, and they're also one of the only animal species I think that they figured out have like a sense of fun. Like they do things just for fun, not for any like survival reasons which I also think is very cool <laughs> what can you think of some things that they do for fun um so for example there was this thing where I th- I think it was ravens where loads of them would gather and then they'd just sort of fly around on the thermals and sort of just be sweeping around and maybe drop like drop themselves through the air or something like that <laughs> and they tried to figure out for ages like why and they decided it was just no reason fun. just for fun mm. If you could change one thing in this country to do with getting people out of the cities into the country, how would you...? Oh, it's hard to pick one thing. I think um, it's not necessarily getting people out, but even the green spaces in cities are very degraded. People barely really class them as going out into nature, despite it being, like, grass and trees and animals. Um, So I think, like just doing them up, making them pleasant spaces to be in again would be amazing. Um, I think um, a lot of green belts, like right next to the cities and stuff, could be amazing places for people to go out, but they're, again, not necessarily um, great for wildlife and birds and stuff. Um, And I guess in general, just having, I, I think stuff like, not necessarily forest school, but stuff like that in primary school where you're just going out and you're doing things and you're going into green spaces, whether it's like the local allotments or like all the fields like around where I live um, and, you know, really spending time in nature. Do you have a, um, a sort of favourite naturalist? Mm. When I was a kid, um, I used to love Steve Backshaw. Because yeah. um, I used to watch Deadly Sixty all the time, and I thought I wanted to be an adventurer too, and go around and see all the really cool animals. Um, and yeah, that was always amazing, like very exciting. Um, yeah, that's my final answer. Actually, he's still yeah. very cool. And when you you were telling me earlier about choosing, where do you want to go? I'm just. I'm wondering if we're going to be able to get across. Because it's all right in the winter. Is it boggy? Yes, very. 
I'll go first because I've got boots on. Okay. Oh, maybe it's okay. It's grown over enough that it doesn't matter. It's nice and crunchy. Um, you were telling me earlier about uh, Bird Girl, your your oh, name, yeah. Bird Girl, and it's one thing to see five thousand something. Yeah, birds. I'd say just half, half the world's birds. Half the world's birds. Catchier than the number. And it's another thing to name yourself Bird Girl in yeah. your bedroom one day. But how did you become? How did you get into the public eye? How did that? What, how did that happen? Um, well, when I was about twelve, I started a bird watching blog. Um, I didn't really think anyone would read it, but that was the dumb thing at the time. That's what all the other um, nature kids that were popping up on the internet were doing. <laughs> um, so I thought I'd do one too, and I was just writing about, um, you know, the birding I was doing at the weekend, or the the ringing I was doing, or whatever. And um, people started reading it. And, yeah, I don't know, it, it was very weird because I wasn't really expecting anyone to. And then um, it got loads and loads and loads of views. And I think it's had about four million now, um, which is ridiculous. Um, and then... So that's how it worked, through your blog? Yeah. You just happened to get a lot of people... Reading it. Reading it, and a lot of followers. Yeah, and then I started on other social medias, particularly Twitter, um, which I'm on a lot, and um, I use a lot. And, yeah, I don't know, that also got me lots of attention and followers, and I have a lot of followers on that as well now. And it's just, yeah. Presumably you think, that, I mean, you realise the power of social media to... Mm people to create more interest for people in the in the in the natural world um yeah definitely I think I mean I think for one there's a lot more young people popping up who are really into nature because usually like I think in decades past it would have been like there were one or two like kids that were into it and it was seen as slightly weird so you didn't really chat to your mates about it or whatever well now um, you know, there's a whole community of people online your age who are into the same things that you're into and it feels like a much more sustainable hobby and um, yeah, I, I, I think it's just really nice to meet other or even not even be friends with them necessarily but just know that there's other people out there your age that are into the things that you're into because um, I think a lot of bird watchers as they grow up they realise that um, there were loads of other kids um, that were into it but they just didn't realise it at the time. So it might have been quite a lonely place before, but now with social media, it's not a lonely place for young kids who are keen on birds because it's not a... It's the minority, presumably, but it's growing and growing and they don't mm. feel alone because of social media. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think it's the same as most things, really. Like, even if it is a minority, it's so much more visible than it was before that it feels like there's lots of you suddenly. Myra, I really feel like we need to find a bird... Yeah, there's can you trees. what can you shoot? What's that? Can you hear that one? Terrible That's my big secret. Um, <laughs> okay, I've, I've am, never been very good at picking them up. Am I allowed to publish that secret? Yeah, sure. I've said it before. <laughs> um, I've just I don't know why, but they never stick in my head, and I really obviously I know like some of the obvious ones, um, but I'm just really bad with them, and I don't know why. 
I've never been a very musical person, I guess, so maybe that's why. <laughs> so you're more visual? Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. I'm quite good on bird ID and stuff, but I just don't really... I don't know. We can have a peer up in these trees though, and see if we can spot anything. It would be good. I mean, we're meant to be on a bird-watching <laughs> walk. Yeah. I feel that... Um, I mean, we've been a bit unfortunate with the weather, but mm. I feel that it would be worth... you. If you found one, it would be quite exciting. There is one up yeah. there, but we don't and know what it is. There's probably some listeners screaming right now, going like, oh, obviously it's a so-and-so. I know, there will be, um, there will be. But I just, yeah, I've got no clue. It's mm. quite a sweet noise. Well, they can write in and tell us what it is. That yeah. would be great. <laughs> let's, let's try and go into here, see if you can find anything. Oh, it's okay. It's one thing calling, isn't it? Mm. Here, do you want to come over here? Sorry, that's a bit... Any... There's nothing moving in this tree. Nothing moving, no nests, nothing, absolutely nothing. Mm. Except for that Tell one... At the end, if we sit in my garden for a bit, loads of birds will come into the feeders. Oh, perfect. I really do think we ought to get some birds, don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. So despite... <laughs> We're on the way back to the garden to find some birds. We still <laughs> can't find any birds in the fields, but, um, but you're saying you're not... You don't. You definitely <laughs> do not refer to yourself as a scientist. So you've taught yourself all these, all this information about birding from learning from your father and mother, and also you've researched it yourself. Yeah, like I said, you just sort of absorb a lot of this information. And I would never dare to call myself a scientist, but I do do ringing, which I suppose is actually a form of science. That is where I've gotten a lot of, or some of my knowledge. Um, where, yeah. It, I always forget because I do it because I like handling the birds and I like, um, you know, measuring them and stuff. But it is, it's, it's science. So. How, how do you get to do the ringing? You, work, you, you volunteer for somebody or...? Um, yeah, so there's a... I'm a licensed ringer and I have been since I was 16, which is the youngest you can get it. And I'm really lucky because I've got like a proper um, ringing station down at Shoe Valley Lake, um, which I've been going to since I was nine. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I just got trained up there and um, I, I wanted to do ringing forever, really. So when you go down to your ringing station, you might see some of your birds coming over or in or around? Or... Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, one of the funniest things is because the ringing station's been there since the 60s. So we've, and, and it's very regular, it's every weekend until COVID, really. Um, so pretty much all of the local birds are regulars and there's like this one dunnock in this one area that we get every weekend and it's like oh hello again how much are you weighing this weekend um and stuff like that and you know you you're just very aware of um the local bird populations i suppose okay uh, but there's bird <laughs> yeah you can see the buzzard flying overhead looks a bit ratty but i still really like them do they look ratty that this one is a bit, I think it's a bit tired. Do you Maybe think... it's post-breeding or something, I don't know. But... Oh. And um, do you think it's one... Do you sort of know that it's the one that you, you might have seen before? Do you have a feeling for it? Or no? Mm, not, not necessarily, necessarily, but it probably is. You see a lot of buzzards flying around here. I really like buzzards. I do think that if they were less common, a lot more people would like them as well. <laughs> I think they're great. And... You were saying that you saw a lot of red kites in here, in this field? No, another field. Um, in the one next door where you can hear the um, farm vehicle going around, actually. Um, when, I think it was about a month 
go now. They came and they cut down all the grass. And um, obviously there's always the birds of prey lingering overhead to catch the mice that get caught up in the machine because it's just easy dinner. <laughs> and um, we had probably about 20 red kites oh. that day overall like going because all the farmers did it like on the same day um going like between the fields and eating and just like um I don't know there were just loads of them it was amazing and we've only ever had one or two red kites like ever in the village before so it was so exciting might be some there today should we go and have a look because yeah. if, if the farmer is out yeah and I think also it's just a really nice sign because obviously red kites were really like pushed back into a small area and they've just started expanding again so sometimes you'll see them like on the motorway and stuff mm. um but the fact that we just see like random groups of them flying over makes me feel like as no they're doing all right there's hope for them yeah exactly and um why do we see birds on the motorway is there any particular reason or it's just where it just depends on what's next to the motorway um, birds of prey probably like it because there's lots of roadkill about. So again, it's free dinner, <laughs> easy dinner. Um, it's quite risky to pick up a roadkill on the motorway, though, isn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. You might end up roadkill yourself. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. As for other birds, I hmm? think that's just where they live, and they don't know any different. Yeah. But I do remember it was bizarre. Um, it was only a week ago or so. I was driving around a roundabout with like a patch of grass in the middle completely like it was quite nice it had like a tree and some flowers but there was just a rabbit living on there and it was like two lanes wide and I have no idea how it got there but it was very happy like munching away on the grass and I have no idea how it was going to get off again oh, but it dear. was just bizarre sounds to me like it might be dinner for something if yeah, it's stuck in the middle of a stuck in the middle of a roundabout mm, yeah where are we going? Down this way? Sorry, or do... yeah, we all, sorry, it's just habit. We always stop to look across the field to see if there's any birds at this point. Wow. There are okay. not, but it's a nice view. You it's can a... see all the Mendips. It is? Oh, is that the Mendips? Okay. Mm. Oh, no, it's a lovely view. Yeah. Like, I don't know, the very picture of British rural countryside, I suppose. Yeah. But do you spend a lot of time in the city as well when you can? I mean, do you hang out in the city or not really? Um, I think with my friends and stuff, I definitely do. I have a lot of family that lives in Bristol as well. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose when I'm hanging out with my friends, we go into town and I don't know, do what teenagers do. Yeah, um, it's not like you're averse to the city. No, only no, not at all. Um, they're very fun. I like going in, but I, I'm also very glad that I grew up here. Yeah. Because it's very beautiful and the air is very clean. And it's just, I don't know, it's just really peaceful, you know? Yeah. So do you think um, <laughs> do you think you'll ever live in a city, choose to live in a city? Um, well, I know I'm definitely going to be for uni. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, I don't know, maybe. Um, I'm sure you'll find some nice green spots wherever you go with the, oh, yeah, with the university. Yeah, I'll pop out, pop out to the park wherever I am. Yeah, so... Okay, so, <clears throat> my Rose, we've been for a walk mm. for about an hour. Yeah. Haven't seen many birds. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in my garden now, and there's flocks of them flying around, so it's okay. <laughs> we had to come back to your garden, to the feeders. Yes. But there are a lot of them now that we're here. We, I've got quite a nice um, wild garden, actually. We've got a pond. We've got, like, 
bits of grass that we've let grow, um, got lots of feeders, etc. So is there certain times of the year that we shouldn't feed birds, shouldn't give them feed, or does it matter? Um, I don't think so. Um, obviously, it's really important to continue feeding them through the winter because um, that's when they rely on feeders the most. But I don't think there's any harm having it any other time either. Um, it's much better than feeding them bread and things like that, which isn't very good for birds. Um, yeah. Oh, so don't put the bread out. Yeah, I suppose in little bits and bobs it's okay. Um, but the ducks, the ducks suffer a bit. Oh, do they? What does it do to them? It just um, them up. it expands in their stomach, so they don't eat like in a, like it's not like it's going to kill them. There's just other more nutritional things that you could feed them instead, like grain or rice or whatever. Yeah, okay. I think I know how they feel with bread. Sometimes we can all <laughs> yeah. feel a bit bloated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so if we got, I can't see any birds. They're, um, they're mainly on this one. They're not quite coming back to this closer one yet because we're still sat near it, but they'll be back in a sec. Um, but we, yeah, like I said earlier, we have a lot of young birds at the moment. Um, especially there's a really big group of young great tits and young blue tits that have been dominating the um the feeders but also there's lots of young gold finches there's lots of um green finches about we've even had a couple of house sparrows which for us is quite exciting because they disappeared from this area of the village like at least probably like right after my parents moved so like 20 years ago um and they've just come back started venturing up during covid Oh, that really is good news then. Mm, yeah, definitely. And it's just... Yeah, there's been a lot of activity. In all these um, hedge lines and stuff, there's lots of dunnocks and wrens, the occasional blackbird hopping around. The wrens are, wrens are quite shy, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. There's, the, there's one um, in the garden next to my window that I see hopping around occasionally, which is quite sweet. But on the whole, they're quite difficult to spot, compared to the dunnocks, which are always down for a fight so they're always flying around and have you spe been spending a lot of time in this bit of the garden during covid has this been your sort of place to come to yeah definitely um like i don't know i've just had so much more time to just sit in the garden and watch the birds and it's been really nice um and even when i'm working we um we set up a feeder opposite my bedroom window so that i could still watch the birds going to and fro so when's your next um, nature camp for Black to Nature? Have you got one planned? Um, well, obviously four was supposed to be happening this summer and got cancelled. Um, so at the moment we're in the... Um, originally we were going to try and do them in September, but we're not sure if that's even going to be an option. Um, so in the moment, at the moment we're trying to organise some day trips instead because it's better than nothing. Um, but yeah, we'll see, I suppose. We'll make the best of what we've got. And so Black to Nature will be something that you will continue with, um, presumably, for the rest of your life? I suppose, yeah. If I managed to keep it going, that would be amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much for um, taking me on your bird walk, uh, birdless yeah, bird walk. Yeah, the birdless bird walk. I'm very sorry. <laughs> but it was fun talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that was a total delight and hugely heartening. Thank you to My Rose for sharing her time and optimism with us, even if the birds were a little shy in the Chew Valley today. 
You can find out much more about Maya Rose and her work at her website, birdgirluk.com. And thank you also to Annabelle Ross for accompanying Maya Rose and for the great questions. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us some feedback and ratings on whatever podcast provider you use. You can also contact me, Fergus Collins, on my magazine email address, which is editor at countryfile.com. I love getting emails about the podcast, and I will certainly reply to every single one I get. Plus, there's a chance we will print your email in the magazine. So join us next week for a one-to-one with the great Helen MacDonald, who is perhaps most famous for her book, H's for Hawk. Helen is a warm and generous communicator, and she shares her positive thoughts on the wild world, nature writing and life in general. Please don't miss it. It's wonderful. For now, you've been listening to the BBC Country Farm magazine podcast produced by Jack Bateman. Thanks for listening and goodbye.